Hello and welcome to the Wavemakers podcast. I'm your host, Tamara Khan. Thanks for tuning in and thanks to the American Shoreline Podcast Network for housing the show. Today, my guest has inspired me to talk infrastructure. And I know that may sound strange as this podcast generally gets to know the innovators of ocean and water technologies, particularly those that have the potential to be climate solutions. But let me see if I can briefly draw a connection here for you. First off, what is infrastructure? Uh, I think a lot of people don't even think about it. In some cases, it's not really visible at times. But at some point, it was constructed and it's all around you and it definitely affects you every single day. It's roads and railroads and it's airports and ports, utilities like water and electricity, the system that transports your sewage away from you and hopefully treats it. It's all these basic systems and services that society needs. The ocean has always been central to US infrastructure. All the early cities were built in naturally sheltered bays or on the banks of tidal rivers that provide that critical safe harbor for ships. So building up our infrastructure has of course had great impact on ecosystems and the environment. And in addition has not always accounted for things that are growing concerns now like sea level rise and severe storms. So it seems to me and many others that we're going to have to get more intentional, more resilient, build better and smarter for the good of people and planet. We need systems that benefit our quality of life, which is such a loaded topic, of course. Because our water and coastal systems really safeguard our health, think about waterborne and sewage-related infectious diseases, viruses, parasites, toxic chemicals. And we need systems that can stand up to storms, like those hurricanes that keep battering our coasts. I'm very excited to have today's guest on the show, his company, Headlight, provides innovative technologies to those working on our critical infrastructure. And frankly, it's something that I don't know that much about. So, Sai Katara, thanks for being here. Welcome to the show. Great to be with you. I appreciate the time today. Wonderful. Uh, well, Sai, here on Wavemakers, I always like to start by hearing a bit about you and your background, how you got here, why did you get here? <laughs> Absolutely. No, I appreciate it. Um, I think you you set it up in, in quite a relevant way. You know, people always kind of ask me infrastructure. How did you how did you sort of join this world? Um, and it started actually back back when I was in school. Um, so my business partner, George White, and I were friends throughout throughout college and university. And I went down to Silicon Valley and, you know, did the sort of the technical uh, startup environment. I was, you know, I came from a computer engineering background, uh, started as an embedded system software engineer, so AKA uh, Super Nerd 101, and then ended up uh, always staying in contact with my friend George. And he was at the University of Washington as a research engineer after school. And he worked in research for two professors in civil and environmental engineering. And, and we chatted and he's like, hey man, you gotta come talk to these guys and hear what they're saying with respect to the opportunities in infrastructure. And I was like, infrastructure, tell me more about it. And the, the night before I flew up to Seattle back from the Bay Area, I sort of, I started thinking about it more myself. And I tried to decouple my trip from the infrastructure 
that underlies all the activities I had to do. And, and I couldn't do it. I woke up in the morning, I poured myself a cup of coffee and I was like, well, there's water infrastructure there. I grabbed some, uh, some cereal off the shelf and some milk out of the fridge. And I was like, well, there's transportation infrastructure right there. It wouldn't have gotten to my house if it didn't get to the grocery store. I got on an airplane. I flew to Seattle. Well, there's airport infrastructure. And then I drove across a floating bridge to go and stay with my mom. And there's transportation infrastructure. And so exactly as you teed it up for us, it is this unsung underlying foundational uh, industry that's there that supports everything we do and the quality of life that we have in this country and, and also for folks around the world. And it was it was that that sort of opened my eyes to it. And so then, you know, George and I were chatting and and we started talking about, you know, oh, there's a five hundred million dollar infrastructure project that's being built. And the realization that the technology that they used on that included advanced technologies like charcoal pencils and clipboards. <laughs> and it blew my mind that that kind of impact for something that is that important and foundational to the way that we live our lives uh, didn't yet take advantage of all of the modern technologies that are available. And so that was sort of the, the genesis of the company when we started it. So our lens has always been, how do we take remarkable innovation and technology and make it really accessible, really easy to use and apply it to the professionals in the infrastructure industry because of the support that they provide uh, to make an impact on all of our lives. And that that was the thinking. It was like, look, if you want to if you want to change the world, move the needle in infrastructure and you're going to touch everybody. And so that's that's how we sort of got our start. I love that. I love the aspect of stopping to think about it and looking around and noticing and that floating bridge that that was perfect. <laughs> um, and what year was was that with where you noticed the was it a five million dollar project with charcoal pencils? <laughs> Yeah, five hundred million dollars times that by a hundred, and that was uh, <laughs> so it was it was back in two thousand five when we started the business, and then you know they did a, a reconstruct of the floating bridge, and they're still working on it here in the Seattle area, and you sort of you you make the connection of how important it is. You know, another example of that too, locally here, uh, there's a bridge that connects uh, a neighborhood or an area called West Seattle, and there were structural deficiencies, and they found. Uh, that it wasn't able to support the level of traffic and there could be a disaster. And so they actually shut that down and it was right before the pandemic. Um, and you realized how, you know, how important that connection point is to get the folks in those communities connected to where their jobs previously were, which was in downtown Seattle. Through the pandemic, it was, you know, from that perspective, it uh, relieved the need to actually make that drive because people were all obviously social distancing at home. But as things are coming back online, it's, you know, it's definitely created challenges for the people in that community. And you just, you really make the connection on how important infrastructure is to, um, to connecting people and impacting, you know, how people can be productive to see their families, to participate in the economy, uh, and, and really to live the, the, the lives that, um, that enable us all to enjoy the quality of life in this country. Absolutely. We were just talking about how um, here in Austin, where um, I'm based and my producer Tyler is based, uh, the traffic's getting very crazy. And downtown we have a river that runs right through. And there's really not that many ways across that river, three main ways. So if there's 
something wrong with one of those bridges. That traffic gets crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is impressive that what you're talking about there, they sort of uh, preemptively took care of of something before there was a major disaster. Yeah, and, that, and that's sort of the nightmare scenario. And, and there's phenomenal ways that technology can help prevent those types of things from happening. Um, and it really, I mean, it comes down to like what matters most, uh, it's people. And obviously people that use the infrastructure, but the, the folks that are dedicated professionals in the industry are the ones that have an, an unbelievably important role in making sure that, that that infrastructure actually serves the purpose that it needs to. And so the approach we've always taken with innovation and technology has really been about focusing on business problems, but business problems that impact the largest amounts of people in order to sort of amplify their expertise in ways to to continue to create value for the industry. And so that's the lens that we've chosen, um, you know, that helps us choose where and how we apply technology. It's very, very problem focused versus uh, sometimes it's easy to get stuck in the trap of this technology is really neat but does it provide a value for the business problems that you're trying to solve? And that, I think that's where the magic really happens um, when you, you start to take innovation and look at it through that lens. That's you're in the right place, Sai, because uh, on WaveMakers, we're very big on sort of people first, getting to know the person behind the innovation and that human-based design aspect. So it's perfect alignment. Um, I I think I got to get into what does Headlight offer? What does your, what is actually your business? Yeah. So um, Headlight itself really started, um, and it's through that lens, right? How do we make remarkable technology accessible to those responsible for delivering our nation's infrastructure to solve really difficult and important business problems? Um, you know, one one way we like to think about it too is our solutions unify teams with trustworthy real-time project data to deliver quality infrastructure. So an example, um, one business problem that we focus on, we've created a platform that's flexible, but it's basically focusing initially on creating a visual-based inspection technology that allows the teams that are working on big infrastructure projects, uh, roads, bridges, Uh, We talk about resiliency projects, coastal uh, resiliency projects. I can share some of the the exciting projects that we're on now from from that perspective. But how do we actually take innovation and technology so that we can connect the field teams with the office engineers uh, from the the respect of delivering that project through the construction phase? And we sort of talked about it earlier. The traditional status quo is the folks in the field – are doing all the oversight communication with pen and paper and mobile phones to sort of call back and communicate uh, when there's challenges and issues in the field. Instead, with Headlight, they're able to take mobile devices like iPads, mobile phones, and capture in real time visual information with the context around it to share it with one or many people and collaborate in real time to make business decisions problem solving, you know, real time kind of construction challenges that happen, having collaboration technology to help uh, make the best decisions around solving those is is a really important capability that we offer. So I'll give you one example. Um, 
there's a huge workforce challenge that's occurring right now in the industry. So the bipartisan infrastructure law that just passed, $1.2 trillion. It's a $550 billion uh, additional funding that's provided to the industry for infrastructure, for all sorts of infrastructure. So the big challenge that's going to come is where are we going to get the workforce in order to deliver that, that package? And the key thing is there's, there's two challenges. One, it's the number of people, but two, the experience that's there. There's so much expertise that's retiring from the industry. How do you get the new folks spun up quickly in order to sort of do uh, that, that program delivery? And so the way that, um, that it really makes a practical impact, I'll never forget there was a project in the state of Louisiana and every, every project that's actually uh, a Louisiana Department of Transportation project is using Headlight to deliver their, their transportation infrastructure. And, you know, there's situations that happen on job sites where they have a brand new field person, an inspector, and that job is basically to be the eyes and the ears of the engineer to make sure that that project gets delivered effectively, safely, uh, on time, on budget, and of high quality. Well, this junior inspector was out on the job site uh, doing what, what they do every day, taking photos, uh, documenting the project progress, what's going on on the job site. And uh, about 20 miles away, there was a project engineer that was just doing what he does every morning, sipping a cup of coffee and scrolling through his uh, headlight project feed. And he saw one of the photos that the field inspector had taken about 10 minutes before. And he spit up his coffee and picked up the phone and called the inspector. And what he saw was there was a group of, of the contractors, employees that were, that were doing a trenching operation, but it wasn't secured properly. And there could have been uh, an accident where, you know, the, the trench collapses on the workers that were in it. So he picks up the phone and calls the inspector and says, get those guys out of that trench. That's an OSHA violation. Someone is going to get hurt. And this new inspector jumped and he said, oh my gosh, I, I had no idea because he was brand new to the industry and brand new to these kinds of projects. So he resolved the issue right away, got the team out of the trench. They shorted up properly. And that inspector, you can bet, absolutely will never let that happen again. And the power of creating collaboration technologies like Headlight is now those new inspectors that are out on the job site that are filling that workforce gap, they're not alone anymore. They have basically on their shoulder 25 years of experience for the project engineer that's actually able to virtually be there with them because now they're connected through collaboration technologies like Headlight. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When you're talking people, um, communication is key and that sounds like you're taking a big leap forward, a big upgrade in a in a system that hasn't been upgraded for a while. Um, fantastic. Yeah, we, uh, I don't know. I don't know if we're glutton for punishment or we just love the industry <laughs> so much. But we chose the cross section of a lot of our customers are public sector, right? The owners of those infrastructure projects and those owners are, are public sector because they're big, you know, publicly funded projects. But it's the cross section of that public sector, plus the construction industry, which happened to be the two latest adopters of technology. So it provides challenges because we really run into the, the idea that change is hard. Of course it is, but it's important. And it's important for industries like this to take advantage of the technologies that are available, but, but, but made accessible 
through easy to use uh, mechanisms. And that's what we try to provide to industries that are as important as the ones that we serve. I want to come back to that in a moment, because I definitely like to talk about barriers and you faced and barriers to entry. So that makes total sense. I just, uh, on the workforce side of things, I know that's something that we talk about in the water industry a lot is that massive uh, silver wave. There's going to be this big retirement and there's such a lack of sort of knowledge in between. Um, And I work in the ocean and water space with so many young and inspiring and savvy tech savvy people that are so big on all the tech tools and I learn every day about some new newfangled thing I can do online that makes it easier for me to get my job done um, and what you're saying here is there's you had an engineer sitting there with a project feed like looking through their project feed like a Facebook feed it's fantastic that's absolutely right. And that's, I think, the big change that's happening as well, where the new um, the new workforce are digital natives. And so exactly. a, a lot of the friction that we felt before, you know, is sort of naturally evolving away where there's an expectation. It's, it's going to be very hard to recruit new talent if you give them a, a notebook and a, and a pen, give them a high five and say, hey, get in the field and get to work. <laughs> You know, by providing these sorts of innovations, these technologies that are really easy to use, it shows that there's an investment in the people that are coming aboard to the industry to deliver what they need to do, how important their roles are, and that there's an investment in tools to help support and amplify them. And that creates um, twofold. One, it's a recruiting tool to attract the right talent. It shows that there's support, but also it creates an environment where you sort of mentioned the silver wave it helps provide capabilities to transfer knowledge from the folks that have that 30 years of experience to the folks that, that have very, very little experience. And that will help maintain the knowledge base and, and provide that knowledge transfer because now you have tools that help take that information and communicate it effectively. And so um, when thinking about moving ahead, This is, I mean, the bipartisan infrastructure law, for example, and it provides a lot of funding also for coastal resiliency projects, uh, disaster recovery projects. But having, you know, that level of change that occurs when you're talking about growth of these programs, it's those change conditions that are the change agents that drive industries like infrastructure that have been traditionally a late adopter of innovation there isn't a choice anymore. You know, it, it's risk aversion in this industry used to be, well, if I change, there's risk of me jumping to this new spot. Well, actually now the bigger risk is if you stand in the spot that you're at, that's where there's much more risk because of the change condition that's coming over the next five to 10 years. Absolutely. And I fully support you there on that transferring the knowledge from, from, earlier experts, because you really have to, in every part of my career, I've found that you really have to understand the background before you just dive in and start making, you know, hopefully progress changes. You, you want to learn from history and then build on that, not repeat mistakes, for instance, and or have to re- waste time relearning. So I love that you provide that opportunity. And then the as far as risk aversion, 
we have a few industries like that. I know that's a big part of challenges in the water system in general. Um, so would love to hear how you feel you've kind of overcome those barriers and gotten people to to be less risk averse, to be more accepting. Like you said, change is hard. What did you do? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. Um, it came down, I think, to the the people focused side of it and and actually showing up to the problem with a large amount of empathy and curiosity. So before we ever wrote a line of code or designed a single interface for the headlight technology, especially on the inspection side, we spent about six months in the field with professionals in the industry, the, the audiences that we wanted to work with and serve to understand their process, what they care about, where the friction points are, where the challenges are, where there's room for improvement before we jumped to any solutions to try and be prescriptive. We, we never want to be a solution looking for a problem. And it was through that that we understood, number one, um, how much responsibility the, the folks in the industry have to deliver these, these incredible projects. And I'll, I'll never forget one of the, the initial people that was in, in the pilot, his name was Mark and he was from uh, the state of Minnesota. And through the research, you know, so we, we basically fashioned up a, a small pilot system to actually solve a lot of the business problems that we had um, discovered in, you know, from the field side, from the inspectors to the chief inspectors to the project engineers, all the way up to executive management at public sector agencies. And in going through the process, we've actually put it in people's hands as pilot system. And Mark had about 28 years of experience as an inspector. And he was, he was, you know, no secret, uh, a little bit apprehensive about the technology. And in the initial setting, so it's very important to be hand in glove and to be in the environment with people. So we're out on job sites, basically showing the what's in it for them, how much easier it is by applying these technologies versus how they used to do it. And I remember in the initial meeting, we always ask, hey, scale of one to five, how comfortable are you with technology? And Mark answered, he's like, hey, man, I'm a zero. I got a flip phone. I got a grandkid at home that's got this crazy iPad. So I've seen him before, but I've never used him. And I was like, perfect, Mark, you're with me. And we went out in the field together and the experience that Mark had over those 28 years was unbelievable. And I'll never forget after the first day in the field, he was actually able to create all of his field-based inspections, do all of the, the processes that he had to do previously on pen and paper, but he was able to do it significantly faster so that he could go home and spend an extra two hours with his granddaughter because he didn't have to go back to the office to actually manually create that information. And he calls me on a Sunday. He's like, hey, Cy, can you push a decibel meter application to my iPad? And I was like, yeah, I, I can do that. What are you thinking? And he's like, well, we're doing this noise wall project on I-35. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk up to the spot before the noise wall is built. I'm going to take this decimal meter application and I'm going to take a reading. And then I'm going to pull it right into the headlight technology. And then three weeks later, when this section of wall is built, I'm going to stand on the same spot and I'm going to measure the delta. And I was like, that is an unbelievable use case that I never would have thought of in a million years. But because of his experience over 28 years, the technology actually got out of his way. 
And then it amplified that expertise to help him get things done way more effectively. And I'll never forget what he said to me. It's kind of cheesy, but I love him for it. He said, uh, he's like, Sai, remember that first day of training? You asked me uh, scale of one to five and I said I was a zero. I was like, yeah. He's like, hey, man, you took me from zero to hero. <laughs> and I'll never forget that. I was like, Mark, you the man. And just seeing, I think that was the most energizing, one of the most energizing moments because you see how much people care. They're in the industry because they want, they're, they're in public service, but they're building something that's bigger than themselves. They're in there because they are creating legacy for their communities and their families and all the people around them. And so that mindset, when you can amplify people that are effective in this field, you create unbelievable outcomes that that's the thing that sort of got me addicted to the industry at the beginning. Yeah. You, you sort of empower people with your innovation to become innovators themselves. I love that. Exactly. In their, in their fields and their expertise. And that, I think that is the most rewarding piece, seeing the innovations used in ways that you never could have imagined because you don't have their 28 years of experience, but you support them in a way that they're able to object exactly like you said, innovate themselves. That's fantastic. It was going to lead me into another question on uh, how, you know, what, what's been the most fun thing that you've been doing with this and learning from, from your time as an entrepreneur and building up Headlight. You know, it's, I would say in a very general way, and I can tie it to specific stories too, but it's this idea of creation and it's about building value where value didn't exist before. And just seeing how that impacts the people that you work with. And it's those moments um, that create relationship connection, not only to the markets that you serve, but the people that you actually end up delivering uh, that innovation with. It's the process of creating something and being a, a creator versus sort of um, an extractor is one of the ideas. And that's why I love engineering. That's why I love infrastructure, because you can see and touch and feel the outcomes uh, of the time that you spend and you can feel the differences and the benefits. And, you know, one example is uh, there's a new program that we're, we're starting to pursue now. So as part of this infrastructure bill, there was uh, 42.5 billion federal dollars that are being invested in broadband. And the analogy is it's such an incredible opportunity. It's like taking electricity out to rural areas and what that enabled, you know, uh, rural America and all of the U.S. to be able to accomplish just by turning on electricity way, way back in the day. Well, now the analog is we need to do the same thing with connectivity and broadband. And so that's the focus of this new program that's coming up and making sure that every dollar that's invested there goes a long way so that people can participate in the digital economy now. You look at the how critical it is, for example, during COVID, when people had to do uh, schooling from home, if you didn't have connectivity, what are you going to do? And so it is critical now in the same way electricity was to now get broadband connectivity out to those communities. And being even a small part of that is something I think that, that is unbelievably energizing and gets us out of bed every day. How very neat. And I, I can take that and tie it back to ocean and water all day long, considering how like agriculture is starting to use that broadband connection and ports and, and 
coastal projects, data collection, all sorts of resiliency things going on. So I'll have to dive into that in, in later episodes as well. But uh, as far as your projects and, and passion, that's so I, <laughs> I just love that you, you really backed up what you said there about how you put people, you get to the people first, just mentioning Mark specifically and having that first hand primary experience and seeing that it's fantastic um really appreciate that it's it's so funny too because people you know like even in our environment we talk about oh the customer and then the organization you've got a name oh louisiana department of transportation but what is an organization it is just a composite of the different humans and the people that comprise it that's really what it is tied together by common purpose, common values, but it is, that's it. That's all it is, is people. And so it's it's easy to get caught into talking about things in an abstract way, but when you really boil it down, that's all there is. That's all that matters. It's the, the people that we share our short time on earth with, what you build with them, what kind of connections you make with them and who you serve and how you serve them. And that's it. There's nothing else. <laughs> I That's a great message, to, especially on, on Wavemakers. Um, past guests have kind of given me that same sort of inspiration on when you're building a business and dealing with people and finding ways through. So definitely <laughs> just loving that, hearing that passion from you as an entrepreneur, I think that's, that's what leads to successful entrepreneurs. Um, I don't want to run out of time with you, Sai, so I have to get into what kind of coastal projects you mentioned that you've been working on. What, what exciting things do you have going on? Coolest thing ever. So Manhattan is doing uh, what they're calling the Eastside Coastal Resiliency Project. It's a $1.4 billion project where it's really, um, after Hurricane Sandy and the devastation that happened there, it's about hardening the infrastructure that we have. And so New York City uh, DDC, Department of Design and Construction, um, is sort of taking the lead on the Eastside Coastal Resiliency Project. And that is so incredible because when you start to think about Manhattan and all of the buried infrastructure and the, the coastline there, there's such a complicated, interesting problem. but essentially what they're doing and we're a part of this. So the engineering firm that is um, basically providing the owner's representation on the project uh, company called HNTB, they're using the headlight technology to help do all of the oversight and project delivery work on that project. But they're putting in a 2.4 mile flood protection system in Manhattan. They're putting in flood walls, floodgates, and they're doing it in a way that blends it into the fabric of the community. They're elevating. This is the wildest thing there. I think it's like eight feet. They're elevating the, the East River Park by eight feet to make it more resilient against the next natural disasters. And there's a huge investment that they're putting into underground interior drainage improvements. And then they have to add capacity improvements to the sewer system to prevent uh, outcomes like what happened with the, the Sandy natural disaster. And so it is like, it is a big, bad, long project that's going to have huge implications for one of 
one of our largest cities in the nation, which is um, New York City. And there's multiple stages to that project. So taking headlights technology, putting it in the hands of the engineers and the field teams that have to deliver that project so that they can make decisions more quickly in a matter of minutes and hours instead of days and weeks. So they can be much more efficient and effective. You know, we've seen outcomes like uh, field teams. They actually see a 28% productivity boost by using innovations like Headlight, which means that's 28% more of their time, almost an extra day a week out on the job sites, out in the field where the activities are happening versus being stuck in their truck or in the job shacks, uh, hand jamming reports and administrative effort. And then the last piece too, we've seen collaboration is really important between the owners and the contractors that serve them. Um, but sometimes it's the gray that causes problems. And it becomes like, well, if we don't have, if we're not all singing from the same song sheet, how do we solve problems together? And so organizations that have used technologies like Headlight have seen more than a 75% reduction in claims and disputes between the owners and the contractors because they're all in real time looking at the same information and solving problems together versus the old fashioned way where, where information doesn't percolate fast at all. And then three weeks, four weeks go by and all of a sudden you got to dig up a trench because you didn't solve the issue on, on the day that there was a problem. So it creates unbelievable efficiencies. And then back to where we've been talking about people, the relationships between the owners and the contractors improve because all of a sudden we're not talking about opinion and gray air. We're talking about fact and everybody, everybody wants the same outcome. They want incredible projects delivered to serve those communities. Well, this just gives them uh, a great way to take the gray area out and collaborate in real time to make sure that they can get those outcomes that they want. Right. They're all getting the same kind of picture. And it sounds like you have pictures and video included. So it's, that's really important to the way humans think and understand. So if you have both the um, owners and, and con cons sorry, consultants working together and seeing, then everybody knows. I, I totally follow. It's a great yeah, explanation. Absolutely. Um, plus, I have to say, I love that idea of removing the sort of reporting element because that is a real time suck. <laughs> um, going back to the office and having to put in the reports is not the fun part of most people's job. It's, 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 and it's one of those things that's a necessary evil. I get it. But if you can really make it easier. And then the biggest thing is those same little morsels of information that go into one report and are stuck there. Those are actually valuable to five or six or seven different stakeholder audiences. And the way that sort of our, our innovation technology works is it's data first. So you capture those little morsels in real time when they happen. And as a second step, then they're output to multiple different reports. They're output to multiple different dashboards. They're shared with multiple audiences at the level that those audiences need to see that information either aggregated or down to the granular level. But just by adding that step being data first and then going to reporting, you unlock the power of all that data and information in ways that was never possible before. And that has huge benefits all the way up the stakeholder chain, um, even up to the political level so that they can see, oh my gosh, I'm on track with these projects and this program and I can share with the community these visuals about what's going on, where things are. And if there are challenges, 
it just provides visibility and transparency in ways that were never possible before. That makes sense. It's a, another another aspect that comes up on this podcast a lot is that data and making it accessible and understandable because data is fine, but what you really want is the knowledge that comes from it. So, exactly. Well said. <laughs> sounds sounds like you're on a roll there. Um, <laughs> One day at a time. That's all we can do. <laughs> is there anything you'd like to sort of sum up with anywhere, any vision for where you guys are headed next? I think part of the vision, it comes to, so you talk about the importance of data and democratizing the ways to create it, interpret it, use it, and, and make sure that it's the way that we're actually making decisions, because that's the only way we're going to deliver what's ahead. Um, One of the new models, I think that's really important with respect to data innovation and technology is the understanding that data is only as powerful as the audiences that can use them. And so our philosophy has always been about open data infrastructure, where customers that are using our technology to capture data, we then need to make sure that we are able to share that data, even external to our ecosystems for the benefit of those customers and the people that that data impacts. And so I think the long-term vision in order to really create streamlined, friction-free decision-making and outcomes, we've really got to create a way to connect different systems in open and, uh, you know, in, in open ways. And that will really help streamline the ability to maximize the impact of that data so that we can deliver unbelievable outcomes for the folks that are responsible for delivering this infrastructure. And I think that's sort of a call to sort of all technology companies, I think, in the industry. Um, There used to be like the turf war and folks wanting to box out and create their own internal ecosystems. And I think that model is broken. The more modular and the more flexible and the more open that we can be with data and information on behalf of the customers, the, the more that we can actually raise the bar and the level of the, for the industry overall. And I think that's going to be the game changer. The faster that we can do that over the next five to 10 years, the more incredible and the more impactful the outcomes are going to be for what we have to deliver on deck. And it's going to take all of us to do it. So well said. That great call to action and that collaboration spirit is, uh, is huge. We have a, a big crisis looming over us with, with climate issues, adaptation, and appreciate that you're trying to sort of expedite things. Um, You mentioned that East River project in Manhattan. And I know years ago, I saw an artist who was there in New York, I I think Eve Mosier, with the high water line was actually mapping out, like physically showing where the water is expected to come up to, you know, flood lines and sea level rise. So I I love anything that kind of tries to visualize what's going on and then address it. So it's great to have you involved in such projects with, with your innovative technology, Sai. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciated the discussion and, uh, and looking forward to keeping the conversation going. Absolutely. I know we didn't even get into some of the things I like to talk about as far as regulation. I know you talked about the infrastructure bill, so that's a whole nother Um, thing we can dive into and it would be great to have you on the show again look forward to it thank you so much a big takeaway from from this episode for me is that infrastructure really touches all of our lives and 
as Sai said there, there's a need to be open, democratize the data and, and make some big bounds forward so that we can address some of our, our issues with infrastructure. You need, I think I loved how you said, we need creators, be a creator, not a detractor. And for all the innovators that listen, all, all my founders, the size message of don't be a solution looking for a problem also kind of resonated for me. Um, thanks very much. And thank you to the listeners as well as the American Shoreline Podcast Network for producing the show. As always, feel free to reach out to me on Instagram at Lady Blue Tech. Let me know if you're interested in sponsoring an episode or if you know of an innovative ocean, water, coastal technology that's making some waves. <laughs>